<laughs> Hello, everybody. Greetings, friends, Romans, countrymen. I'm Dave. I'm Jeff. And this is the one and only podcast on the net dedicated 100% to the greatest game in the world. And that would be, of course, Advanced Squad, squad leader. leader. Advanced Squad Leader. So what's up, Jeff? Well, I had an interesting uh, week last week. I went on my annual fishing trip, which we go on every year. Thus the word annual. <laughs> what I was going to say. <laughs> and this was our 31st year, which tells you I, I started going when I was two. <laughs> this is our 31st year. I've only missed one year, and uh, it was fun. Uh, we go to uh, northern Wisconsin, and we always rent the same place. They've got a couple cabins for us. It's a small compound. and uh, But next year, they're going to be renting out the main, well, they're going to be taking over the main house to live in. So they'll only have one cabin for us to rent. So we're going to have to split the group and send the other half somewhere else. No. There, there are not a lot of places up there. It's really, there are not a lot of facilities for people like us. They're all, they've all turned into condos and... So you'll have, have to split the group? We're going to split the group. So we'll have four people in the this little cabin that we've been in for years and years and years. And then the other four will be across the street and down about uh, just about a half a mile. But And the lakes are connected so we can get to them and they can get to us by boat. It's just a little inconvenient. So I'm going to, we'll just, and since I'm one of the original founders, I can, I can say who goes where. So I'm going to put the people I don't like in that other <laughs> area. But we always have fun. We catch a little fish. We uh, read books. We talk pithy and erudite conversations <laughs> and uh, solve nothing and drink a little bit and have, have a nice time. It was very good. And they did catch fish. You did not. They caught, caught fish. I bought a, uh, I bought a license this year. I just want to support the D Department of Natural Resources in Wisconsin. So I thought, I'll buy the license. I don't have to actually go fishing. So that's my contribution to nature. What have you been up to? Oh, um, well, you cooked the fish. That's I cooked, yes. Annual. It's the only time during the year when I get a big pot full of boiling oil. And then we just throw everything in there. Throw in whatever we... After we're done cooking the fish, we, put, we throw potatoes in there. Or let's see what happens. We'll throw bacon in there. Sometimes um, if, if we've got any candy or cookies or something, we'll go ahead and fry those a little bit. Just see what happens. Come across a frog, tear off its legs, <laughs> fried frog legs. You know, we try not to be uh, cruel to animals, but I did go to the, the cleaning house and watched one of the guys cleaning the fish. Not a guy I normally watch clean the fish. And so he takes the fish and I, I'm not a fisherman. And I'm sure all the fishermen out here that are listening to this are going to laugh at me, but he, he takes the fish and he takes the back of his knife and whacks the fish on the head to kind of stun it so that it will not flop around while he's trying to clean it. It's horrible. It's a it's, you it's just kill? horrors. Wouldn't you just kill it instead? How would you kill a fish? You strangle it? I don't know. What do you do? Trip it and have it fall down the stairs? Break its neck? I don't know. How do you kill a fish? Hit it harder in the head than just a light, gentle whack. 
it did seem like a gentle whack. And the fish was just like, his eyes are rolling around. He's like, what the heck? Why are you hitting me? You call that a hit? I'm going to hit you back. Yeah. Well, we have this uh, man doing our soffits and gutters. Oh. This week. He's been here all week. He's really cool, Todd. Um, doing great work. It, it looks really like quality work. So that's kind of fun. And then the squirrels, I, we did get rid of. I don't remember if we talked about this on the air. The ones that were coming through the screens. So we did trap them. Yeah, so I don't the, know. They're letting themselves into your house. Is that right? They. Mm-hmm. We saw the seed bag in the in the sunroom torn open. We thought mice, and then realized maybe not. Laura thought the chipmunks from the backyard or the squirrels. And then I came down from the shower, turned the corner, and there was the squirrel just sitting in the house, and ran around in a circle. And then he leapt through the tear that we had in our screen. Oh, thank God, he let himself out. So, right, and that thing just opened up. He went right through there, and then um, he, I put in the aluminum screen which you it's horrendous job don't have me do your screening and then he came around to the window in the side and i heard a and i thought he was trying to break through the skylights with a rock breaking on the glass yeah but he was eating on the screen with his teeth hanging upside down ripping and so we had to get rid of them. So the neighbor lady brought over the trap, and I managed to catch the the wife on the night before, and wanted to catch him, but I, I didn't get it done before sunset. And then next morning, got how did him. you know it was a wife squirrel? Was she wearing an apron? She's a little smaller and st- smaller in stature. Was she? And she had curlers. Her, her husband. <laughs> what? What? Was she preparing a nice meal for her husband? Yeah. Well, once we got him out there, I, th- I uh, you know, I, I told Laura, I think this, the, the females out there, when hopefully they met up the next day, because <laughs> I think she was saying to her husband, like, we had it so good. We had a bird bath. We had a fountain. We had a feed feeder and so good. And you had to go break in the house to get more food. So anyway, I don't think they've come back. I looked this morning. I opened that window and put bird seed in and looked down, and it looked like him again. But I don't think it is him. So these two new ones, we have new squirrels, and our new squirrels are tentatively coming in the backyard, you know. Like, where's those other more brown, bigger ones that always chase us away? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're like, oh, well, maybe we'll just start coming here and eating this seed. But They've not come up on the stoop. They haven't been eating the wood on the stoop. Ah. And they have not, no one's attacked the screening yet. Thank gosh. So that adventure, as you say, no animal cruelty. I didn't want to. uh, Yeah, yeah. Give them a bath or. Right. Blow their brains out with that pistol we found at my mom's house. Yeah. They are, they are (laughs) relentless. It's amazing. We, they. Yeah. We got an order from Amazon not too long ago of dates from uh, North Africa. We get them from from Morocco, Moroccan dates, big dates. And I didn't know squirrels like dates, but man, they 
tore into that box. The guy dropped it off and I thought, oh, I'll go get that later. And I forgot about it. So it was an hour later. They tore into the box and they were halfway through these dates. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. But we, yeah. do, we do love them, but they're a pain. Yeah, they, so these these new ones, yeah. yeah. Anytime they pop up on that stoop, the wooden, you know, stair, I'm just going to, I don't know what. Don't put dates. Really try and scare them. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we went to the Volo. Have you been to the Volo Museum lately? I have not been to the Volo Museum, the auto museum ever in Volo, Illinois. Oh, no. Jeff, that's yeah. the Red the Red Baron model car. Oh, Remember it is? That? With the helmet and the... Yeah, yeah. So you went there with your stepdad? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's very cool. Oh, and a dinosaur. Now they have a whole Jurassic Park area. Oh, my gosh. The Batmobile. Is that the Batmobile? Yeah, 1966, I think. Wow. Oh, the monsters? Man. It's Grandpa's Dragster. Yeah. And their big house. Or their big car. Their big car, the hearse. And oh, the land speeder from Star Wars. Yeah. And then if you're into just cla uh, army, the little uh, they have an army museum with all kinds of weaponry, artillery. They got a half track SDKF two five one, and a U.S. personal carrier from Vietnam, and all kinds of classic classic cars oh that's fascinating i did not know that all that was there it has really expanded so we should go yeah it's worth the trip huh yes good all right and then before we get into the show i'll do a what, what i've been playing lately okay i know we, we've been playing our star wars but don't get sick while i move this camera quick rundown all right this is a game from the winter offensive pack, the Chinese have to take, well, actually just get a squad up on a level three, mm -hmm. which I accomplished here, all the Chinese units in here, and then have more people on level two and three than the Greeks who were over here, Dave Timonen's Greeks. The Greeks against the Chinese, huh? United Nations forces, yeah, other, other UN forces. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was kind of cool. And I, I came on from the side behind their mountain that they're still on. They were on all three to start. Mm. The, chi the, the Chinese in this Korean thing, they don't, their prep fire is half. We have to revisit this. <laughs> all their prep is half. All. Thus, and don't prep. Just to prep, so it's okay to defensive fire, but yeah. they want you moving. Yeah, that's it. And then they have this impulse movement, but it's not a human wave, so you don't enter their hex as far as we could figure out, too. Okay. We have to re talk to the designers again sometime soon. But that was pretty fun. It, it's deluxe. It's from the Winter Offensive Pack, Spartan style. Okay. Yeah, and I remember that talking about that one. Yeah, and I was just getting brutalized with a uh, heavy machine gun and a Neg 2 leader just vaporizing my guys coming up Ooh. in the open with this impulse move. And he wiped out eight whole squads coming up the backside of that mountain. Wow. And then luckily, and I thought I had lost already, when suddenly I had these two peaks and was like, oh, I'm on level three and 
boy, let's count number of victory points left. And I was two ahead of him. So then it was a game of we're shooting across the mountains at each other. Really? Just many, trying to break someone. How many turns were left at that yeah, point? Two. So we wow. had this cool battle up the mountains. Yeah. And then didn't have to take the third one. So we sat shooting each other. We're shooting at each other. Yeah. And then I'm realizing, well, I should have come around the back, you know, or did the yeah. skulking up the hill and whatnot. So anyway, a lot of fun. Anyone else play it? Let us know what's up with that. Yeah. So, good. Good. All right. On with the show. On with the show. All right. Let's we'll take a look at Einor that we tried last time. So I went yes. ahead and got that. So let's take a look. Hey, everybody. Let's take a quick look at what's in the box. Green Hell of Einor. Or do you sell Enor by Le Frank Terrer? This little puppy. You get two booklets. One is The Rules. The rules. It's time for rules. You need the rules to play the game. No, not those rules. And it's got some designer notes in the back. Nice ad for River Creek on the very, very back. And much more. Introduction, abbreviations, terrain. Einor Scenario Special Rules, Campaign Game Special Rules, Refit Phase, and Refit Phase Procedures. Got the good old big page that shows the map in miniature, which is always good. Some definitions. Terrain we're going to find in Greenhead of Einor has the levels ranging from negative one to level five and roads and paths dirt road brown gray road cave buildings there's some cellar rules here steeples going to be on this thing grain plowed fields now they do have this unique plowed fields artwork that sets up different kind of look to them two types of woods got the light woods and the standard woods darker color and light woods Lighter color on this map. That's helpful. River barges. Now we're getting special here. River barges. They're depicted on the map. They cannot move. They're treated as wooden buildings at level zero. Except they're not considered a building for rally and route and street fighting. Obviously. No fortifications can set up there. Only infantry can enter a river barge. Two movement factor costs and only from adjacent ground hex. If rubbled, the river barge destroyed and sunk, as you might guess. Then that river hex just becomes a sunken barge counter. There are rules for wood debris, rubble, connecting trenches. The connecting trenches rule reads, I think, kind of like the other rules from the Red Barricades and stuff about that. Trenches are considered to connect to all adjacent buildings, uh, exception river barges, uh, rubble or gully locations, and all trench connections open into only the cellar, if that exists in that hex. And then 
talks about moving into and out of. So maybe it's a simplified verbiage of that. Haven't compared the two. But what's really unique here and neat is the way they've broken this map board down into zones. The Bois de Salas, the Bois de la Hache. The, they're color-coded here. So you can see, like, pink is A, A is over here. Description of the area on the map, and then a visual depiction of the area on the map. So I like that. Very nice. And then it gets into the special rules, and we'll probably take a deeper look at all these rules at a later time if we're going to revisit this product. Again, designer notes in the back. And the historical background book, but let me read a little bit of the editor's foreword. They've got some special rules with the OBA that this battle is a very OBA heavy battle, and yet they don't want to use all the other kinds of rules. So they have some special like interdiction OBA that they're going to use um, as well on this and hoping that that's a simpler way to do some of the things you may want to do with OBA in your, in your own designs. Some words about the French campaign in 1940, and he says it appeared in LFT 11, some 12 years ago. A lot has been said and also written about the French defeat during May and June of 1940. Sure, the German victory happened to be extremely fast, and the French army was literally blasted away, despite being, for that time, one of the most powerful armies of its era, as far as strength, manpower, and figures were concerned. Many people, including French citizens, still think that the French soldiers in 1940 just fled. And then he goes on to talk about some statistics here to maybe get us to rethink our understanding of that. That um, 45 days of fighting, the daily German loss total was higher in France than during Barbarossa. Now, maybe Barbarossa is a bigger area, but um, during the fighting for stone, the village changed hands 17 times in a single day. The French soldiers sacrificed at Dunkirk allowed 340,000 Allied troops to withdraw. The French army casualties were 90,000 killed in action and 270,000 wounded. And the Germans suffered 64,000 casualty KIAs and 110,000 uh, wounded. So he says what is true is that the French army general staff at the division and corps level were completely corrupted by old views and a lack of imagination when it came to the enemy of the time. But the frontline soldiers, the battalions, companies, and platoons were made of real soldiers who fought well and sacrificed their lives for their country. So it makes a good point. Let us all maybe reconsider. Um, this is a really good looking product that what we're used to getting from LFT. And the front article on the French 1940 campaign, historical look, and a really cool looking Einor battlefield tour. And they're showing the map there. Here's a, the zones we looked at in the other book, put onto a real photograph of the battlefield aerial view. Some of the guys um, looking a little older and grayer, a lot like me uh, and Jeff, <laughs> posing with the map. I had to sign to Einor. You know, just again, they do the views of where the map is, what it looks like, well, today on these pages. Uh, here they are, the guys looking confusedly at the map, trying to figure out which where they are. You know, 
really cool stuff. Then then there's the battle, which has the battle maps with the troop movements, stuff we're used to. And the Fort of La Ferte, where they take some photographs uh, along the Maginot Line. This is, I think, one of the areas that said that that anchored. But I'm loving this close. You know, you, you read about these things in other accounts, and then you get to see these illustrations of Block 1 and Block 2 from the Maginot Line, how the interior looked, where the ammo was stored, and so on, the tunnels and things like that. That's pretty cool, along with a lot of pictures of the cup cupolas, or do you say cupolas, built into the cliff, which really becomes clear how the forts were built in to the surrounding terrain. You can see in all these pictures that they have great article, Cornerstone of the Maginot Line, historical look at it the day before, Franco-German infantry tactics, through schools of thought on in collision. Oh, through schools of thought in collision. I haven't read it yet, but I'm assuming German maneuver, attack, Panzer tanks, and French sticking to World War One tactics maybe. And some of the army layouts, OBA kind of related stuff. Uh, colonial army with some of the troops that were brought in from the colonial possessions of the French Empire at the time. Uh, yeah, looking good. Looking forward to reading this thing through all the way. And again, a picture. I like the way they do the map. And then the historical Aerial photo, picture of their own map, superimposed, showing how that all fits together. So nice product. You're going to get a bunch of scenarios as usual. 111. Oh, no, that's campaign game three, Roman numeral three. So is it three campaign games? With rosters and charts. And that's campaign game one, Pride of the Foreign Legion. I know 15, assuming these go in order. I haven't looked through these. I could do a deep dive later. I know some of you don't like those so much, but and I must, the maps don't take place. You know, some of them use different boards, for example. This one here, Hill 311 has board 58 and 70, and lots take place on the INOR board in the small sections, like, you know, we're used to for most of the products. That we get that are campaign games at this time. And then we have usual player aids with the great Le Frank Terror rat guy on there. If you like him, maybe you don't like it on your charts. Graph French player tables. This one German player tables. Two sided, too. And campaign game rosters, usual stuff you'll find. Interdicted German reinforcement charting. I don't know. I think it's a, it relates to the interdiction OBA, perhaps. Counter sheets. I got two here with my set. And I am having problems figuring out what these guys are here. They Marines. They got an anchor symbol, maybe, I think, on the counter. But looking through, it's a whole sheet of infantry, squads, 
two different symbols. Oh, maybe that one is the French Foreign Legion symbol in miniature. It's hard to tell. The other ones have these stars on them. White, blue stars, and black background. And those are in the rules here. The groups, the francs, in most French battalions, they existed. It was formed out of volunteers equipped with automatic weapons and got better allotment of hand grenades than normal. They were tasked for coup de main and reconnaissance missions. They're like elite four, five, eights and, and four uh, or five, three, sevens. Artwork. They got the cool artwork that they usually have kind of on this new products. And they, they have their uniforms seem to be different. A guy in a red shirt and a guy in some kind of khaki outfit. So volunteers that would probably explain that. And then this sheet, concealment counters on that sheet one. Sheet two is comprised of the uh, Senegalese, I think, uh, 14th, 15th Regiment of the Trolliers, Algerian. And there's a picture in the. So these are explained rule book very well uh, in two different sections on the counter sheet and your complement of weapons with the new artwork, demolition charges, support weapons, some cool artillery counters to indicate the interdiction and counter battery fire. Interdiction artillery is new for this thing. Some fighter bombers for the Germans and the French, cool looking sniper counters and sunken dips. Well, probably the barges, right? They'll get laid on top of the barges. So the two counter sheets from Le there's green line or the map. I don't like it's got, you can see it here, but mine's kind of wiggly bent. It looks like the map didn't fold up very well for shipping here. There's two map sheets, and they strike me immediately as looking a lot like a comp group hyper maps. I've done a good job of trying to match like the different levels, all the way from the very low negative one up to level five up here in the woods. Dense, you can see the plowed fields and the regular fields. And Justin Fields throwing the football for the Bears. Orchard Line Road running the, along the whole bottom there. Other map, which folded up a little better, but it's still awfully wrinkly here. This one has the canal along the bottom. And the village down here with that Einor all along the road. Very cool, very detailed buildings. And again, roads leading up into the hills, the forests, and into the green hell of Einar. And that is a deep dive. Well, no, it's a it's a quick look at everything in the green hell of Einar. Frank, the, the, uh, back to you, Jeff and Dave. Well, that was uh, cool, Dave. Thank you for doing that. And then uh, we've got another little clip we we're going to add on here. 
that we recorded previously when we did our 300th episode. Rich Spilkey and uh, Mike Rizzi and Rich Spilkey's son were here. Jared was here. And we did a little quiz show, which was very entertaining. Everybody loves quiz show. Everybody loves quiz show. And so we're going to plop that in right here and let you be entertained. We're going to share the love. Here it is. Style that no one else could play. He was a top man at his craft. Hip hooray, we're living in the USA. One you yanks all holler Hip hip hooray. Welcome back, everybody, and now it's time for another episode of Quiz Show. everybody that music means it's time for quiz, quiz show. show yay the old studio kind of audience quiz show. <laughs> the old kind of <laughs> quiz show where we have teams playing and here we have team what's the name of the spilky team how about the spilky team yeah team spilky how about that <laughs> Not very creative, but we'll take it. It's Team Spilky against the Black Riders of the Night of Death. The Black wow. Riders of the Night of Death. <laughs> wow. I'm That's a scary team. Yeah. Spilkies versus the world. And I'm I would think Spilkies would win. No offense, Mike Rizzi. I know no, you, no, it's I know fine. You, know the rules. Yeah, you just know that Mike is working with a uh we can, beat you, we can beat you with half our brain tied behind our back. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, if it's NSL questions, <laughs> it's you know it's gonna be tough for me, but don't, I'll see what I can do. We're not afraid. We're not frightened. I, I trust my dad's judgment on, on ASL over mine. <laughs> Ready? Remember, I just said in the last podcast that I uh, read the rules for four hundred hours, which was a complete yeah. guess on my part. It's got to be more than that. <laughs> got to be. This question is for Team Spilky. Jared, what do the counters do during the prep fire phase? Am I allowed to consult with my teammate? No, it's well, the prep minute. fire phase. What do they it's do? Oh, they prepare to fire, obviously. <laughs> Rich, yeah. Can he phone you a phone a friend, Rich? Yeah, consult. <laughs> what do they do, Rich? Well, generally they can fire, but there's other things they can do too. There but I don't go. think they're asking for more than that. They actually no, do fire. They, they don't prepare to fire; they fire. I'd like, to but it's called what phase? It's called prep fire. Prep fire. <laughs> okay, like, well, yeah, forgive me that for thinking it means they're preparing to fire. When you call yeah, it prep well, fire. No, it's un, it's not unreasonable that you thought that, but it's preparatory <laughs> fire. It's like you know, preparing the ground or preparing for an advance or something like that. Okay, I see. And Rich, what else can they do during the prep? Now that you well, see. they can dig an entrenchment. Oh. They can. Um, what else one. can they do? Can they? I guess searching you do in the movement phase. But if you prep fired, you couldn't do that in the movement phase. So you gotta yeah. not prep fire. But I do believe you dig an entrenchment. What else do you do in the prep fire phase? You can do star shells. I think. Yeah. Yes. Night for night night scenarios. Yes. 
Um, what else can you do? Gosh, I don't know. I'm sure there's more, but that's all I can think of. That's good because I was thinking all they could do is. <laughs> well, you're new. Ready, team. <laughs> Black Riders of the Night of Death. If a fanatic half squad recombines with a half squad that's not fanatic, is the resulting squad fanatic? Yes, because fanaticism is catchy. <laughs> it is catchy. I would say no. How do oh. we resolve these disagreements? Insult with the black writers. Fisticuffs. All right. Um, Your final I'm dodging. I, I, I'm going to go with Mike's answer. No, that is correct. Team Black Riders of the Night of the Death. <laughs> the Plague Riders of the Apocalypse. Yeah. Um, team Spilky. Oh, I thought of one more thing you could do in prep fire phase. You can opportunity fire. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, of course. And that one I sometimes remember because <clears throat> it's on the counter, you know, <laughs> on the other side. Good point. If a piece is set up in a half hex between two allowed boards, does it count against scenarios, specified setup limitations on both sides of those boards? Could you say again, please? If a piece is set up between two allowed boards on a half hex, does that count against the setup limitations on both boards? I'll defer to my partner on that one. <laughs> uh, Jared? Just, um, I think you just got to do a morale check, roll low, get snake eyes, and then you win, right? That's how That's this correct. game works, right? That is just, correct. Yes. Just roll yes. low, and then yes you'll be good. the right answer. Okay. It, it counts, <laughs> which I never knew that. That's Aren't funny. they marked TI because they have to hold the boards together the whole scenario? That's, yeah. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Boy, right. I really didn't over my head in this game, in this con in this contest, guys. We didn't You're know. You're two for two, Jared. You're two for two. You're doing great. <laughs> um, team Black Riders of the Night of Death. <laughs> right. So, so for me, the answer is always roll low. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Just that's, roll that low. Will... Just, you know, just roll low. You'll be good. And rally well. Yeah. 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 But not when you're playing us. Thanks for good everyone. Go to answer. You'll win most of the time. Yes. <laughs> All right. If during the rally phase, no, the route phase, <laughs> enemy units in the same location, not in melee. Oh, no, this is the rally phase. <laughs> okay. Start again. If during the rally phase, enemy units in the same location, not in melee, wish to recover the same weapon. Wait, who who goes first? No, it's it be the route phase, right? Because it's gonna, enemy units in the same location. Not I'm gonna in start melee. off. I'm gonna start off with my thoughtful look. Boy, you need your mug. Interesting question, Dave. Well, you know. Well, I'll, you guys can answer it. It's your question, but I'm not going to answer it. But this is a very extremely rare event that maybe <laughs> I've seen once in my whole 30-some, 40-some years of ASL. It's extremely yeah. rare. Yeah, I've never. 
What? You never, you never know. It might. Come this up. is in the rally phase. Use your no. It can't. No, it has to be in the route phase. It has to be the route phase, yeah. right? Well, I thought you said you wanted to recover the weapon, though. Um. Yeah, yeah that would be rally phase. So it's rap. Can you be in this? Yeah, you can. You're in. It's possible, but it's really rare. Oh, I think it's uh, if both are concealed. That's an exactly. But if you if you try to recover something, you lose concealment. Okay, but they both could try to conceal it. They're both concealed, right? They advanced in in melee, but they didn't end up revealed. They're said not they, held in melee. They, you're right. They're not okay. in melee. So who can do right. it first? This well, is analogical, Mike. Is ours. Yes, the attacker goes first. So. That's right. There you go. So there is some logic to the yes. AFL, <laughs> right? Because it's his face. <laughs> Crazy. Okay. see you could tell i prepared um i mean the odds of having two units not in melee in the rally phase and having an unrecovered weapon at the same time <laughs> i don't know what the odds are of that but it's extremely low it's yeah like getting hit by lightning um what is the cost for infantry to move to a higher level that also crosses a hedge. This is for Team Spilky. Team Spilky. Well, I'll I'll, I'll let my opponent. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you this, Jared. It normally just costs one movement factor to move into open ground. It costs double movement factor to move uphill, which is what Dave's talking about. And you also got to pay a one movement factor penalty for going over a hedge. What would that be, Jared? Do you mind briefly uh, saying the question one more time? Yes. Can do you not see the hint? Oh, <laughs> I scratched my beard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Three. Oh, yes. <laughs> and your dad was right. He was clarifying why it's yeah. three. See, but if some, the question was about crossing a hedge or sorry. I I it doesn't I, I said I heard the question very well. It doesn't really matter. But I, I might have was... said I thought oh, you said crossing cool. a hedgehog. No, <laughs> Those are like biology, that, that biology cost. experiment. No, okay. It doesn't cost <laughs> movement, extra movement factors. Okay. Because they're too small. <laughs> Team death against the world. If a multi-man counter is Black attacking. Of the night of death. <laughs> if a multi-man <laughs> counter is attacking a single man counter in by infantry overrun. And the option to move the single man counter to an accessible location is chosen. Can the single man counter be moved into the hex from which the multi-man counter is entering the single man counter's location? So the squad wants to overrun you and you get to move away on a infantry overrun. Can you move into their square hex? Uh, could you repeat the question, please? No, complicated. <laughs> like me. <laughs> what do you think? trying to consult your attorney? I'm right here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> the answer would be no. Bing, 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 bing. Unless they have chocolate. Jeff, were you going to sing a song? Unless they have chocolate, you said. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually peanut butter, but close enough. 
Jeff killed Jeff killed a mouse. <laughs> Not just now. Thought I'd share. Yeah. You did oh, that just now. You. He got one. Not just now. No. Yesterday. Yeah, this morning. Good job. Crushed its little head. Wow. Yeah. And he and he enjoyed it. I did. Jeez. It's like Lord <laughs> of the Flies over there. I put him just outside, so as as a a warning to other mice. Yeah, put it put it on a stake like Lord of the yeah. Flies. Yep. <laughs> Team Spilky. If a single oh, man wow. counter is being attacked by an infantry overrun, can it choose the option of being moved to an accessible location if it's already marked first fire counter? Well, I don't know what that is, but I would say in life you usually generally you have a choice. So I'm gonna lean with I'm gonna lean towards that you do have a choice. You usually do, uh, but I, but I, but the real answer is I'll defer to my dad because he actually knows what that question was. Own a friend? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. First of all, he first fired. The, the the, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I understand. But like, first of all, infantry overruns are actually kind of hard to do. In other words, if you've got a multi-man counter. And then, you know, when I've got a single man counter, say, and you want to do an infantry overrun, you can't just do it. You can't just announce I'm doing a, you have to pass some kind of a morale check. And then you have to like, as I recall, you have to like double the TEM that the single man counter is in as a die roll modifier, you know, to your morale check. So the odds of actually succeeding and causing a single man counter overrun are, you know, not, not high. They're hard to do. You can't just say I'm doing a single man counter overrun. But anyway, that's not your question. Um, I don't know if you've already first fired, can you leave? I'm going to, I don't know, but I'll say no. No is correct. Okay. So okay. good thing I deferred. <laughs> the logic of the rules. This is easy. <laughs> How about this one team whose name I can't pronounce or remember if a, if Black a stack of units. Of the night of death. Sorry. What is that again? Black riders of the night of death. If a stack of units is moving together and a unit in the stack expends movement factors to place a smoke grenade, then must. Uh oh, my pages are out of order. <laughs> must other units in the stack also expend the same movement factor if they are to continue to move together as a stack? You, you got to stack. One of the dudes wants to play the DC or something, and the stacks still move together. Do they all have to pay that? Yes. Yeah. Mike, you agree? I don't agree. Oh. Well, they had. They want to well, continue moving as a stack. As a stack. Yeah, I'd say they have to. Yes. They all. They all take the yes penalty. Yes, is the right answer. Yeah. One guy, there's always one guy that wrecks it for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the way. Yeah. Stop placing smoke. We're trying to get somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Team Spilke. When a stack of units is moving together, can the different units in the stack perform different actions in their hacks when simultaneously expending one movement factor? For example, can one guy do the smoke, another one recover a support weapon, one guy have some tea, 
Wow, that's a really great question. I don't know. <laughs> I think, I think you, can have, you can have coffee, but not tea, right? Yeah. I think the tea might be illegal. Unless it's the British. Right, right. let right. the British, but if, when the British have tea, they get like a morale boost, right? I'm yeah, sure right. in the game. Yeah. And they no, can just no. like really, they'll fight, they'll, they'll, they'll fight way better if you give them the tea. Yeah, I'm sure. That's one of the nationalities. You know, I wanted to rewind to Mike and Jeff's question or the Black Widows or whatever they're calling themselves over there. <laughs> wow. Uh, Disrespect to that name. Black Riders of the Night of Death. Sorry, sorry. Um, because like in the case where you were describing, okay, so you got two squads moving, say, as a stack with a leader, so they have six movement factors, whatever. And then the one guy tries to throw smoke and then we agreed that they all had to pay the two movement factor or the one movement factor penalty for throwing the smoke, depending on you know what hex they're throwing in. My question was, I know this wasn't your question, Dave, but you know if you roll a six when you're trying to play smoke, you have to stop moving. So my question was going to be, if you rolled a six on your smoke attempt, would everybody have to stop moving, or just the guy who was trying to place the smoke? Everybody. Everybody, yeah, mm-hmm. I would think. And th- this segment's brought to you by. Pedal hard ginger beer. It's a beer with ginger. Ginger ah. beer. Oh, I'll have to try that sometime. Yeah. Where can I find it? I don't know. <laughs> Local Julasco? Oh. In Dave's back. I don't know the I don't know the name of the liquor store down the street. Okay. They know your name though. You're in there all the time. <laughs> Here comes Dave. All right, so back to our question. So yeah, if sure. one guy is going to play smoke and one guy is going to recover a weapon and one guy is going to place a demo charge or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, can they, Aim. let's say they're all, they all cost one movement factor in this yes. example based on what they're doing, mm-hmm. can they do it simultaneously or are they separate and they all are additive together against one another? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say you can do them all simultaneously uh, and they all count as just one for everybody is what I'm going to say. That is correct. Makes wow. sense. That's so did you know amazing. the answer to your question, Rich? Is that true? Wait, uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I didn't because, think so either, yeah. I mean, I think the one guy would have to stop. Now, everybody spent yeah. the two movement factors and the one movement factor in your question for the placing of the smoke attempt. Uh-huh. But, but only the guy, in my opinion, I could be wrong, but if you roll a six, I think just the guy that rolled the six has to stop and everybody else can keep moving. Granted, they have less movement factors than they would have had otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, actually, well, that, that does sound correct. But I don't know. Otherwise, you might as well have both squads attempt to throw smoke at the same time to increase your odds, assuming they both have a smoke exponent, you know, capability. Right. I was making up my answer. Yeah, I've done that a lot. Like when I really, really want smoke, I'll move a stack of guys that have smoke exponents with a leader to get the extra two movement factors, and they'll both try to throw smoke into the same hex. Mm in hopes that that increases my chances of, uh, you know, getting it there if I really need it in a given case. Okay. Question then, what, te- what team am I on? Um, it's- uh, Black Riders of the Night of Death. Yes. Okay. Those guys. Black Orchid team. <laughs> Two-part question. Part one, True. Jeff. Okay. Can vehicles set up in buildings? Yes. Correct. Well, wait a minute. Sometimes. No, it's, it's part B. It's part <laughs> okay. B. Okay. Okay. Let's see if. Okay. Well, yes, it's sort of right. Okay. And then part B for Black Orchid player number two. Yes. If they can 
set up in house buildings. Do you roll for sellers? Yes, you do. Is it Peter Sellers? It can be. It can be Peter Sellers. So, Rich, is that what you were thinking? No, I wasn't. I was thinking like open top vehicles can't set up in buildings. And oh, right. um, I don't think armored cars can set up in, because uh, your, your question was AFVs. It, only, only, that, closed, only closed top, fully tracked vehicles can set up in a building, uh, I believe. And you don't roll for bog, if I'm not mistaken, if you take that option, unless some special rule says you do. No, right, you're right. Yeah, this oh, is and you don't and you don't roll for the seller either. I don't think. I think you just get to do it for free if you're allowed to do it. No, you don't. Mike was right. How about oh, that ginger beer is a, it's very delicious. <laughs> and it must be paying the half squads great great sponsorship money. The ginger beer company. Oh yeah, this show is brought to you by who, Jeff? Founding Fire Productions. That's right. Founding Fire Productions, maker of fine ASL products. Rich, you must enjoy Bounding Fire produ Production products, right? I work for Bounding Fire Productions. I am a minor employee in their vast world of helpers. That makes I'm an elf. Cool. I'm an elf in the workshop. That's even more cool. Yeah, that is. <laughs> so I have to say nice things about BFP, but I would have anyway. Yes, he would have anyway, people. Yeah. We forgot to plug on our last 300. Here's a question. Team Spooky. All right. Can a minimum move be used by a multi-man counter to conduct an infantry overrun against an adjacent single-man counter? You know, I'm going to go with Sure. Why not? You know, you are correct. Poss possibilities are endless, right? You know, why not? If you're, if you're a multi-man infantry counter, I don't think you should limit yourself in life. I think you can do anything, you know, <laughs> just cause you're a multi-man infantry counter doesn't mean, you know, you can't do tank stuff. Well, it probably does mean that, but you can still imagine it, you know, like you can, you can be your best self. If you're a multi-man counter. We'll have to, that'll have to be the name of this show. Yeah do tank stuff you can do tank stuff jared you can throw you can you can shoot a panzerfaust you can uh do an anti-tag magnetic mine you yeah. can place a demo charge you can fire a flamethrower you but can do all kinds of anti-tank stuff can i uh do like airplane stuff like tom cruise and top gun too probably not i probably no, can't fly a plane yeah well they do have airplanes in asl they're not used very often but there is air power yeah, I mean, it was a factor in the war, so it should be in there. It was a big factor in the war, right? So it should be in there. Oh, yeah. Team Black Panther. Suppose a squad. <laughs> Thank you, Riders of the Night of <laughs> Suppose a squad is carrying six portage points, leaving it with one movement factor, and it uses minimum move to move into an adjacent building X. For defensive first fire purposes, is it considered to have spent only one movement factor in that building, hex or two? Uh. <laughs> Time is up. Go for the steal, Team Spilky. No. Oh, hey, I was just giving Jeff an opportunity. Yeah. 
two. I'm going to pass along. It would to be two points. You are correct. Two, 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 two. Did you put the echo on that, Jeff? That was cool. So let me get let me get this straight, Dave. So let me think about what you were saying. Let's say I am a multi-man counter. I'm not, and I'm not. Um, well, just I'm not CX. Let's say I'm not CX. So I have three IPC, and I and I, let's say I have a heavy machine gun with five portage points, and there's no leader with me. I'm just by myself. So under the spirit of Jared's uh, idea of being able to do whatever I want. Let's say I want to advance uphill into a building. So that's going to be four movement factors, but I only have two. I only have two if I'm carrying this, you know, this heavy weapon. So, well, that's not a minimum move. That's an advanced versus difficult terrain. So that's something different. No, wait. <laughs> I was going to say minimum move. You don't have enough movement factors to do that move. Oh, it's advanced. Is that the well, no, you were asking about moves. So let's keep it to the movement phase. So, okay. so I guess it would, I would have to do a minimum move It'd be to a do that. Move, right. Minimum move. And I'd be pinned in CX afterwards for doing so. Yep. But then I really spent four movement factors to do that. Oh. In this example. So I'm trying to envision this case where you'd only have one and it's still a minimum move. Mike? What was the case <laughs> with one? Well, would you be considered to have spent four or two? I mean, that's the question, right? In any circumstance, do you spend all the points that it took to move into the space? Are you considered to have spent all those points or just what it was required of it? Right. And it's saying what's required. No, no. Well, it's your answer was two. So is this case, it would- Well, two under the idea that it takes as many points as it does to move into the spot right because it's going it's to considered an adjacent it, yeah. building right that's normal okay how about this here we'll make it easy let's say you're a conscript you're a conscript squad so you only have two ipc you're not cx so you have two ipc you're carrying a five portage point weapon also conscript squads only have three movement factors right right so now you got, I guess, one left or zero left, right? You have zero, yeah, you have zero movement factors. It's the movement phase if you're carrying this heavy weapon. Um, so now you wanna move into like, let's just say an open ground hex for one movement factor like Dave was talking about. I guess that would be a minimum move for that one movement factor in this example. Yeah. Because you have zero left. Defensive fire, it count as one. Next question. Would it count as one? I, I think that's it, what they're saying. It counts. Is it non-assault? Like, it's not assault movement. It's not assault right, movement. But it's, still one movement factor. but it's still only going to draw. So the important point is it's still only going to draw one fire, one round of fire. Right. As opposed yeah, to okay. two, because it's I not spending more yeah. points than the yeah. one point it took to yeah, get right. in there. Yeah. Then team Spooky. If the enemy single man counter is unarmed, is a normal task check required for an overrun, infantry overrun? Oh, the single man counter is unarmed? So he's like a white on the white counters? Like a prisoner. Yeah. Okay. No, no, you don't have to. You can you just are cruise correct. right in. 
Yes. You can, again, wait, what Jared, Jared would have said it. I should have given him a chance. You can do what you want. Yeah, you, yeah, you, an ASL, most often <laughs> you have the choice. Just give it a kind of like a try. D&D, &D. <laughs> you can do anything, you know? Yeah. I'll let you answer the next one, Jared. I'm sorry. No, I mean, I can't actually answer any of these questions, so I can only provide sarcastic remarks. You're doing pretty well. My knowledge level. This is like college. By the way, now that now that I know you're interested in the air support, uh, we, we, if you ever play squad leader with me, we can play an air support scenario that has airplanes in it. Yeah, Top Gun 2 got me pumped on the airplanes, so. It's a little different in squad leader. Yeah, I, I imagine. Yeah. You do come in and uh, you can do <laughs> what they call it, a, a flyby. Or a strafing run. Uh, negative Maverick, the pattern is full. <laughs> Team Black Riders of the World of Death. The rule says the fighter has the option of tracing a line of sight to B, the point where the hexide crossed intersects the road used. Does this mean that you can always fire at that hex or road point, no matter what the terrain in the hex is, as long as the target unit is using road movement? That's like if it's, you know, the woods road. Yes. But it's saying any terrain. Mike? As long as it's using the road. Yes. Yes is correct. And then is that a snapshot? Black Riders of the Night of Death. That is not a snapshot. That is correct. That is not a snapshot. Wow. Man, I don't want to play against Mike. He's too I good. I didn't even understand the question. <laughs> uh, let's see. Obviously, this is from the movement section. We're going to wrap this up here. Um, and I can throw away these pages. And we still have enough material for a next hundred shows yeah oh good wow we're covered this is all i got guys <laughs> is, is the prize for winning this go ahead you need to be back on episode 400 to finish the quiz show yeah that's right yes, yes. um <laughs> team spooky infantry may bypass concealed enemy units without invoking a 12.15 oops sorry i don't know what that is does this mean that infantry can bypass a known enemy unit as well? I'll throw that out. Unless, Rich, you know what 12? Yeah, I know I know the answer, but I'll let Jared answer, like I promised I would. <laughs> so right. here's, well, here's what so he here's did. Jared, Jared, let me tell Guys, you what he's answering. In life, you can always make a choice, right? But there's all, some choices carry risks. <laughs> and if you're bypassing an enemy, that sounds like a risky choice. Now, you can. I, I'm going to go with you can make that choice, but... There may be consequences to that choice, just like in life. If you make a choice, there may be some consequences to that choice. And Rich? Well, I agree with everything Jared said, except his answer is incorrect. Okay. So it would be no. Fair enough. But philosophically, I'm right. But let right. me tell you what he was asking. He was asking if there was a concealed unit, let's say, in a building, which is unknown because you don't know about it. That's what the concealment kind of represents. Can you bypass it with your, you know, with your guy? You know, it's a... Oh. And you can if it's concealed, because it might be a dummy, it might be nothing there, and you don't know about it. But if it's a known unit, like you know the bad guy is there, you're not allowed to bypass his hex uh, hmm. because you know that he's there for sure. 
So there's a unit that's hidden. You don't know he's there. Or you, you do know he's there, but he's hidden. So he's not really concealed then, right? Because you know he's there. No, if he's well, you see the counters there, but it could be two dummy counters. It could be nothing. So if you don't know, you're allowed to bypass it. Yes, but like you said, you're taking a big risk because if it's real, he can hit you with triple firepower. Yeah, he'll kill you. Could. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the answer to the question is, you can't do that if it if you know that there's a unit there. You're saying you can't do that. Correct. And that ends quiz show. Brought to you by Ginger Beer. I just like wow. I'm gonna have to try that sometime. Ginger Beer. Mm. Maybe I'll have that next time we play the Twilight Imperium or something. And I want to thank Team Spilky for coming to play against the Black Orchid Horse Riders of Darkness. Yeah, they're tough (laughs) opponents, and they're just just they're just so dark. You know, they're tough to play. <laughs> All right, thanks guys. <laughs> Thank you. Forgot how fun how much fun that was with those guys. Yeah, it was that was really fun. Turned out really well. Well, that's the show. 304. Yep, 304 is in the can. 305 is going to be a humdinger. I don't even know what we're going to do. What are you No, we to we're going to humding something. <laughs> we're going to hum and we're going to ding. I got the ding. I'm going to have to learn to hum. <laughs> well, remember, this show is brought to you by Bounding Fire Productions. Makers of all these fine products. Can you see them over my shoulder? Yes, I see Operation Neptune there, and I see Corregidor there, and uh, yeah, into the rubble here. To the rubble. Great, great stuff. Great products. If you guys, seriously, if you don't have any bounding fire, I can't. I can't imagine there's anybody that plays ASL that doesn't have any bounding fire stuff. Order it. You're gonna love it. Even if you don't play it, you're gonna love it. It's you are gonna love stuff. it. The layouts are great. The the, uh, quality of the materials is fantastic. They're always willing to help you if you have questions about something that they might put in their rules. Yep, give them a call. Stu, give them a call. Tell them Jeff and Dave sent you, or Dave and Jeff. So that's the show. Remember to... Roll low. And rally well, but not when you're you're playing playing us. us. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye.